Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. My first guest tonight is uh, rather a phenomenon on the political scene as a, a citizen politician making his first try for public office. He was elected California's 33rd governor in 1966 by a majority of something around over a million votes. And he held that office, you know, for eight years. And he used to joke that in his earlier profession, he used to write off in the sunset with the words, the end, on his back. But there are those who would say that Ronald Reagan, uh, 1975, may only be the beginning. Would you welcome, please, the former governor of California, Ronald Reagan. Nice to see you. Nice to be here, John. And nice of you to have me here after oh, a little more than two months unemployment. That's right. Uh, how does it feel to be, uh, well, you're not really unemployed now because I know you're doing a syndicated column and um, for many new, around 120 papers, I think, and a radio show and uh, on the lecture tour. But how does it feel to be, I don't know if they use the word temporarily out of politics or not, but we'll get into that later. Uh, uh, there's mixed emotions when you step down. There's always things that you had left undone that you'd like to have done, but then uh, all of a sudden the curtain's pulled and that chapter's over and uh, somebody else takes over. Yeah. Did you have any major disappointments? What would you have liked to have done or your biggest disappointment, maybe your biggest highlight in office as you look back on it? Well, uh, i start with the biggest highlight. The First of all, was proving that some things I'd long believed as a citizen would work, that you could introduce common sense in government, and after the first traumatic shock, uh, <laughs> you kind of made some of it work. I still say that the answer to our problems in this country, even at the national level, is to have a law that says there is a percentage limit of the people's earnings that government cannot go beyond without the consent of the people. So you're talking about the gross income of the country and how much they can appropriate for, uh, That's right. for federal projects. See, when, uh, when you and I were boys back in the Midwest, right. governments, federal, state, and local, were only taking about 15 cents out of every dollar earned. Today, they're taking almost half of every dollar earned in the United States. And most people don't realize it because the taxes are hidden in the so-called business taxes. You know, the politician that stands up and yells, oh, let's save the little man, let's tax business, and everybody yells, hooray. But they haven't figured out that every tax on business is just a part of the cost of production, and the customer winds up paying it when he buys the product. It's a hidden sales tax. There's 116 of them in our, the suit of clothes that each one of us is wearing. Suppose a lot of um, economists have suggested, and I don't know that it'll ever come to be in this country, that if they closed all of the 
loopholes and uh, corporations and maybe tax loopholes and even on the rich certain loopholes and, and made a percentage income and made a flat fee without all of the deductions that the government might raise as much money as they do now. Oh, sure. And really, the loopholes, this has been overdone by the politicians, too. No. The bulk of the money that is taken by what are called loopholes are the legitimate deductions with which if the people didn't have them, they couldn't pay their income tax. Interest on their mortgage, right. uh, interest on the installments on their on their car, their property taxes on their home, if they have one, and right. so forth. These are, in politicians' eyes, loopholes. But we ought to have tax reform, and we ought to start by making it so simple that you don't have to hire a lawyer to find out how much you owe every year. That's for sure. It used to be, uh, it used to be a little simplified, but not anymore. We, we, Johnny, we live in the only country in the world where it takes more brains to figure out your income tax than it does to earn the income. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> right. You hear intelligent people from uh, both political parties or in the middle, conservatives and liberals, and they all seem to have different answers as to what is going wrong in the country. Some people say, well, let's let the government spend billions of dollars. And then other people say, no, no more federal spending. Uh, let's give the tax rebates. And the other intelligent people say, no tax rebates. We've got to do this and do that. So everybody is confused. Uh, how, how do you see the thing? What, how are we going to get out of this? Well, uh, Johnny, I think that one of the things is that people keep looking at government for the answer, and government's the problem. You, a moment ago, you, you asked, you know, about people and feeling not only confused, but right. low and, and down in America. First of all, the American people, if they would just take a little inventory and look around, you triple our troubles, and we're better off than any other people on earth. And we've asked so much of government, and we've gotten in the habit over the last 40 years of thinking that government has the answers. There's very little that government can do as efficiently and as economically as the people can do themselves. And if government would shut the doors and sneak away for about three weeks, we'd never miss them. Now, if, if the people Did want anybody to Anybody you had in mind particularly? Huh? <laughs> no, I said this while I was in government. <laughs> okay. Our biggest problem is that we have built a permanent structure of government, federal, state, and local. The permanent employees, and they've come to the place that they actually determine policy in this country more than does the Congress of the United States. Mm -hmm. There are 14 and a half million public employees in the United States. That's quite a voting block. And the bureaus and agencies, not in Washington, I heard you talking earlier about uh, some of the research programs. Mm -hmm. Listen, there, you, you had some beauties and there's some others. What would you say if I told you about one, a study in which this was called the, um, the uh, demography of happiness? And in this study, the government found out that uh, young people are happier than old people. <laughs> They found out that people that earn more are happier than people that earn less. And they found out that well people are happier than six people. That's good. This was $249,000 to find out it's better to be rich, young, and healthy than old, poor, and sick. So what do you say now that it's that the government may be the problem? Do you envision a possibility, uh, say, in 76, if the convention, say, was deadlocked? I'm giving you all the theories and so forth. And the conservatives took over, possibly, and got control of the, uh, of the electoral process. And they couldn't quite make a decision. And they came to you and said, uh, Governor Reagan, uh, we can't decide between Mr. Ford and Mr. Rockefeller. We're divided. Um, would you like to uh, would you like to go to the White House? 
No, I... I thought that was delicately phrased. I... Yes. (laughs) Verbose but delicate. Yeah, verbose but delicate. (laughs) No, I think it's an unanswerable question. I don't think anyone in view of the things that have gone on the last few years knows what's going to happen in in the next two years down the road. I think that everyone should hope and pray that people are there will do the job so well that there won't be any question about it. Because if they do, then everything's all right with the rest of us. You think they're doing their job well? Well, I agree with some things and disagree with others. When they when they give me a when they give me a choice between a fifty three billion dollar deficit in the budget and an eighty billion dollar deficit, when budget deficits are what's causing inflation, I don't see that there's any room to be on either side of that argument. Yeah, I think the answer to curing inflation is a balanced budget. How do you do that? I mean, it's not, how do you balance the budget? Well, balancing the budget is like protecting your You don't your spend vir- more than you take in, right. Yeah, it's like protecting your virtue. You have to learn to say no. <laughs> There's got to be another way. Thanks for being with us tonight, really. It's a pleasure to see you again. Hey, this is Alan Taylor from The Drive, nationally syndicated radio talk show, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome. You are tuned in to, yes, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Run to your computers and Google cantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Sitting right in front of this amazing, stunning banner that we have here featuring our amazing 1957 Thunderbird Gasser. Hey, Cedric, how you doing tonight? Hey, there you go again. <laughs> well, now, you know I had to... This is not a political show, okay? But you know I had to do that in... Uh, I don't want to say response, but uh, because of what... In light of the, uh, the the nonsense that was on TV last night by that perpetrator in the, uh, in the, in the, in the White House. But anyway, so, you know, it's funny because you listen to that. That was actually an interview on Johnny Carson with Ronald Reagan in 1975. And he just came off being... Our governor, when I say our, because it's my home state, California, Yep. since 1966. And then they put the dope smoker in there. What was his name? Jimmy Moonshine, or uh, no, Moonbeam. The hell was his name? Uh, Jerry, oh, you mean Jerry the, Moonbeam Brown. You mean That's, the, the, pe- the peanut farmer? No, 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 no. The peanut farmer is the guy that became president oh, in 76 huh. by accident. No, Jimmy uh, J- J- Moonbeam there, the, you know, the, uh, who's he hanging out with? Uh, Linda Rodstadt, remember? That was a governor that came in after uh, Reagan did in 1974, and that's when California went to hell. Anybody you talk to that's been in California that's a conservative will tell you that uh, right after that, whew, it went downhill. It was pretty bad. And then they reelect the moron again. So, whoops, did I say that? Sorry. Anyway, but hey, later we actually have a song that's kind of, a, it's a Herb Alper song. We'll play that. And that's another little kind of little, eh, you know, jab at that. But anyway, like I said, run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com. And you can see us live here in the studio. Be sure and check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, uh, be sure and check out our podcast, which is Nostalgic Radio and Cars, which is located on our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. We still have a few shirts left. Uh, if you get a chance, go to our stuffs page. You'll see that. And, of course, we have some decals, and we always have decals. Now, there's a number of events coming up here in the – actually, starting this week. Um, it's amazing. i, I got to tell you, I just came back from uh, Arizona a couple of weeks ago. I was out there, and, then, of course, last weekend we had the crazy madness going on in Kissimmee, you know, with all the auctions. And uh, just to kind of give you an idea, you know, we had – this started off on – January 11th with the inaugural concourse in Arizona called the Arizona Concourse. And um, 
It was at the uh, Bellevue Resort and Spa. Bellevue Resort and Spa. I'll get it right here one of these days. But at any rate, that was a very, very nice concourse. I have to admit, it was done very, very tastefully. Some amazing cars. There's about 70, 80 cars there. So it was really cool because they had some pre-war classics, some brass era cars, race cars, uh, supercars, sports cars. You know, we're talking the usual Porsche, Ferrari, Maseratis, weird stuff, Oscar, stuff like that. There was obviously the Duesenbergs, there was Packards, there was Cords. Um, there was uh, uh, just some really amazing stuff there. And um, so, and Lamborghinis, of course, one of my favorites. In fact, there was a Mira and a 350 GT there, which was kind of unusual to find them both at the same show. And uh, Ford GTs were there, obviously, and um, beautiful vintage 30s pre-war Lincolns, V16 Cadillacs, just just crazy, beautiful, amazing, well, pre-war cars. And really, you know, you have to look at those cars, and you just have to marvel. Now, keep in mind, that was 19, you know, late 20s, early 30s, the workmanship, the craftsmanship, and some of the state-of-the-art mechanics and design of those cars you know especially when you get some of the custom body stuff you know for example what was real common back in those days is if you were a well-known celebrity or something like that, and let's just say a uh, clark gable of the era okay or uh, alan ladd those guys really dug cars they were kind of like uh, uh guys before jay leno you know and they would have these one-off cars built and fortunately those cars survived and some of these collectors have managed to save those cars and preserve those cars and they've done an excellent job on them but you look at them and it's just really cool how the flowing bodies they were so you know ahead of their time for the time you know and stuff that we take for granted you know today everything just looks like a wedge and um but nonetheless that was a great concourse okay so there's 60 some odd cars and then commencing on monday you had barrett jackson barrett jackson had roughly i think 11 1200 plus cars at their auction okay then you had uh gooding auction they had roughly 100 plus you had rm they had also roughly 100 plus you had uh, bonhams they had about 100 you had russo and steel russo and steel had 700 750 cars in fact they were sold out they couldn't even consign any more cars then you had silver so that's six auctions okay so there you're talking over 2500 plus cars then then on on Saturday, every Saturday, the week of, during, okay, the uh, the uh, Scottsdale Car Week, we call it now, okay, the the uh, this is a giant um, shopping center. It's called the Pavilion. A thousand cars, easy, okay. So now think about that. So that's over three thousand, four thousand cars, roughly. Then. I come over here to Meekums. Meekums is running an eight-day auction, which started basically on the 18th, which was Friday, the last week, a week before last. And they're running an eight-day auction or nine-day auction, and they're having 3,000 cars. Then this past Sunday, they had the annual Devro Kaiser show down in Sarasota. Unfortunately, it got rained out, but still another 1,000 cars. So think about this, Cedric. In two weeks, I have perused through over 7,000 cars and I still like cars. I'm I know. I was up. about to say, you'd think you'd be sick of them by now. No, because it was amazing stuff. As a matter of fact, this Sunday, I met this really cool couple. They had this 1913 Cole, okay? Now, there's a lot of cars that were built at the turn of the century. And, you know, they may have only built the cars, you know, for two years, three years, ten years, five years, whatever. And then they went away or they got bought up or something like that. And a case of point, a good example would be Lincoln Motor Cars. Okay, Lincoln came out, I think, in 1919. They built the first Lincoln and it was kind of like a top-of-the-line car to compete with Cadillac and Mercedes and Rolls-Royce and, and cars of that nature and Packard. And uh, Edsel Ford, it was his idea, at, the suggestion, at his suggestion, Ford bought Lincoln in 1921 or 1922, Lincoln Motor Cars. So hence, that's been their flagship car ever since. And um, so, I mean, when you really start looking into these cars, these brass-era cars now, especially the one-offs, the rare stuff, 
have suddenly, you know, because I think people like my generation, you know, are, okay, we're kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know if I could look at another Chevelle, another Goat, another Mustang, another Camaro Firebird, and so on. There's just a ton of those cars out there. So it's kind of like they're, I don't want to say saturated, but there's there's just a ton of them. We're looking for something new and different, okay? So now you start looking at these pre-war cars or 50s cars. You know, they start to pique your interest a little bit. Now, a lot of guys can relate, like myself, can relate to 50s cars, the 60s cars, because that's what we grew up in. You know, my mom had a 60s station wagon. My mom had a 57 Mercury, you know, and my neighbors had old cars. Some of the old guys that I used to hang around with when I was a little pint-sized little kid, you know, they had Model A's. Model T's and, and and maybe a Packard or two or a Lincoln or a Cord or an Auburn or something like that laying in their backyard. Cars that back in those days and even up until within the last two decades, you know, people took for granted. So there was some really cool stuff out there. But anyway, so this couple had this 1913 Cord. And, you know, you typically look at a car that's got, when we refer to them as brass era cars, brass era cars is anything through the early teens through, let's say, like the mid 20s. Those are brass era cars. Hence, Brass trim, brass lights, brass horns, brass steering wheels, brass knobs, all that kind of stuff, right? But the high-end cars were chrome or they were nickel-plated. Well, this car didn't have any chrome on it, a few touches, you know, some brass accents, but the majority of the stuff, the headlights, the trim was in nickel, and it was absolutely gorgeous. So it wasn't really jump at you shiny chrome. It was nickel plating. Absolutely beautiful car. An older restoration, just a really, really nice car. So in talking to the customer, the, the, the couple there for a little bit, they told me about another car that they had, and it was called a Hamlet. And I've never heard of a Hamlet. And supposedly, supposedly, there was only one made. And as the story goes, and I always say that, I preface by saying as the story goes, because just in case I'm wrong, but this is what I was told, okay, the car was built by an engineer who was a member of the first graduating class of MIT, which is uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology up in uh, Boston. And uh, he lived in a little town outside of Massachusetts called Andover, and that's where this car was built. So it was a really, really neat story. And what was interesting, too, is that we started talking a little bit, and I mentioned that I do the radio show and stuff, and I mentioned you know some of the guests that have been on my show, namely Jay Leno. And guess what? Jay Leno actually lived in Andover. So I said, for what it's worth, I'll shoot him an email and see if he has any interest, because they're looking to find a home for this particular car. And since this is a one-off and it's nicely restored, in fact, they went on to tell me that that car, they were actually invited to the upcoming event here in Jacksonville, north of Jacksonville, because we have Amelia Island coming up, Amelia Island Concourse, which takes place March 7th through the 9th, okay, and I urge everybody to go there. There's four events you hear me talking about every year. Amelia Island is one of them. SEMA is another one, Monterey Car Week is another one, and obviously Barrett-Jackson Car Week. Those are the four big events that everybody needs to put on their bucket list because I honestly cannot explain to you, if you're a car guy, a nutcase like I am, you have to go to these events. These are the events to go to because that's where the who's who and anybody and anyone that's into cars and anything may show up there. You know, I mean, it's just a really, really, really amazing event. But uh, we're going to put something on a turntable here real quick. Uh, this goes out to the to the to the boy up uh, north of us, a little ways. And this song is done by this is no Herb Albert Herb Albert Tijuana Brass song, and it's called the Work Song. So since uh, the federal employees, anybody that works for the government, is going to get a raise increase here up to you know he called it what the ten 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 dollars and ten cents you know uh this goes out to him and all you guys uh that work for the federal government that uh, are gonna get you new raise the work song which is something you guys in the government don't do 
You're listening to Nostalgic Radio Cars. We will be right back. Stick around. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, and you know what else went on this weekend, uh, Cedric? I was over at the uh, um, Quaker Steak and Lube. They had the uh, Full Throttle magazine okay. uh, bike thing going on, a three-day deal there, and I met a couple of cool people over, while I was over there. But uh, Greg Billings' band was over there playing, you know, Artie's Buddies, <laughs> and uh, they did an excellent job. But I'll tell you who I met there. Um... Paul Sr. from OCC, from Orange County Choppers, was there. Okay. So uh, I got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes, and I talked to his uh, PR guy, and uh, he may be coming on the show, so we're looking forward to that. Cool. And then also, uh, I got a chance to talk to Frank Walker, Walker Ford, you know, because Walker is Ford. Those are our good friends over there, uh, right off of US-19 there, because that's where I go to get my diesel serviced. And then I had a chance to uh, meet uh, Fran Hosh, you know, she's the the, uh, personal injury lawyer that uh, handles a lot of motorcycle stuff going on here. And uh, so that was kind of cool. And then also, uh, you know what's going on this weekend? What? Actually, Friday. It's Blast Friday in downtown Clearwater. Oh, yeah, and guess it what? is. Yeah, Pure Prairie League's going to be there. Oh, cool. So everybody, uh, you know, show up for uh, Pure Prairie League. It's going to be downtown Clearwater Blast blast, blah, 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 Friday. So that should be a lot of fun for everybody, too. So it's a free concert. Everybody just hangs out and has a good time. Cool beans. Fireworks. Fireworks. <laughs> okay, hey, a couple other events that are going to be taking place here upcoming. Keep in mind, guys, it's the 50th anniversary of the Ford Mustang. So there's going to be an enormous Mustang gathering, Ford gathering, at Charlotte Motor Speedway the middle of April. April 14th, I think, is when the Mustang debuted in 1964. Also in Bradenton Motorsports, uh, I believe also in April, is the NMR, the National Mustang Racing Association. So I will have some tickets for that. And I think after that, a couple of weeks after that, I think they're having another event in uh, Bradenton Motorsports 
Park, and it's uh, like a national muscle car shootout thing. So I'll keep you guys informed. Again, like I said, check my website out, the events page, and I'll have all this stuff up there and posted for you guys to read and always have an idea of when the coolest events are going to take place. Okay, guys, also don't forget, it is Rib Shack Wednesday. Uh, All you guys know that on Wednesdays, I generally go over to my good friends over at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo for the best ribs and barbecue in Pinellas County. Give them a call over there at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090 in downtown Largo. Also, a big shout-out to my friends at Belladora's Pizza over there off Clover Largo Road, just around the corner from the Rib Shack, okay? And Mark and all those guys do an excellent job of putting some amazing Italian food together, and their pizza is spectacular. So give them a call, and don't forget, they got takeouts at 727-581-5000. That's 727-581-5000. That's Belladora's Pizza. And a big shout-out to our new friends up the street here, and that's the Crispy Cajun. I know, Cedric, you like that place. 727-441-8886. That's 727-441-886. The Crispy Cajun. You know, let me tell you something. She makes a mean... I guess you would call it gumbo. It's just, it, it brings tears to my eyes. It is so good and so spicy. So I was just over there last night, and my eyes are still watering. So be sure and check out the Crispy Cajun, 441-8886. That's right here on Drew Street, right around the corner. Well, actually, right around the corner, right up the street on Drew Street, up towards uh, Drew Street and just north of, or just west of, uh, I guess at east of. You want me to look it up? Yeah, it's east of... Uh, I'll be here. Let me think here for a second. East of, well, between Belcher and uh, Hercules Avenue uh, on the right side. It's in between. Hang on. I'm looking at it right now. I'm pretty sure that's it. It's in between Belcher and, yeah, Belcher and Hercules. Yep. Well, right. sort of in a way, it's in between Belcher and uh, Coachman, Northeast Coachman. Yeah. Yeah. It's on, the way to, it's on the way to Lola's house. Yeah, exactly. It's on the way to Lola's house. <laughs> Just up by to say hi to Lola, Dave, and Obama dog. And their petting zoo up there with their enormous dogs. Roof, 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 roof. Okay, and then also a big shout-out to my good friends down there at Cop Cars Online and the Classic Automobile Company, my good friends John and Mark Woodhouse. Give them a call if you want something really cool, squad car-related, or a cool old classic car, 727-536-2677. That's 727-536-2677. And, of course, like I tell you guys, the guy, my good buddy Doug, that uh, did this banner for me, and I'm still impressed. Every time I look at it, I'm just highly impressed because it's just cool-looking, you know, and it's got that amazing 57 Thunderbird gas runner. So if you need a sign or if you need decals or anything like that, give uh, Dougie at the sign shop a call, 727-392-4852. That's 727-392-4852. And, hey, if, you know, boating season's just around the corner. And uh, if you need your boat worked on, give my friends down there at Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection a call, okay? Their number is 727-544-6440. That's 727-544-6440. That's Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection. That's what it is. Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection. If you need your boat fixed, uh, preferably inboards, because that's primarily what they work on. They also sell Tiege ski boats. And most importantly, they're Ford guys. So if you got a classic Ford, Mustang, Torino, Sunbeam Tiger, Pantera, you definitely want to get these guys to work on your cars. Because uh, Forte, Dom, good friend of mine, 40 years now. His kids are in the business, Chris and Anthony, and they do an excellent job. So that's a family-run business. So uh, give them a call. Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection, 727-544-6440. 
We got a song queued up, don't we? Another one? Yeah, we got another jazz song because this gentleman loves jazz. So stick around, and we're going to bring our guest back, and we're going to have some fun tonight because this is a gentleman with an amazing event, you guys. One of these events that I always talk about. So you tune into Nostalgic Rating Cars, and we will be right back. Tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman needs no introduction. He's been on my show a number of times. He's an alumni guest, but he's also the founder of the, probably the best automotive event in the country, the Amelia Island Concourse. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Bill Warner. Bill, are you there? Yeah, Robert. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, so how are things up in cold Jacksonville? <laughs> well, it's about 37 degrees. Tonight, it's going to be 46 tomorrow and 82 on Sunday, so you figure it out. <laughs> okay. Did you guys get any snow up there? No, 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 no. That was, that was just... Yeah, I think it was probably just north of Wake Cross it got some, but I just, you know, drizzle and just a typical North Florida day. Okay, typical. Anyway, uh, I appreciate the kudos. I don't know if you knew it or not, but we won the uh, worldwide event for the best motoring event of 2013 from Octane Magazine in London. Did you really? Congratulations. For, for last year. Yeah, we were really excited about that. We uh, 
we we had some pretty stiff competition from the West Coast and from Europe. So we're we're basking in that for a while. But you know, uh, uh, the buck stops on on March ninth. We got to deliver the goods. Well, you know what? I've got to hand it to you, Bill. You have done an amazing job with Amelia Island. I mean, it has really truly evolved into, and I mean it sincerely, one of the best events in the country that I've ever attended, and I look forward to it every year. Well, thank you. You know, um, there are a lot of great events around. I think where we have uh, done a better job than others is we recognize the importance of the people of, of the automobile genre, and we like to celebrate our heroes. And I, I, as, as much as I love cars that are on the field, and we've got some spectacular stuff coming this year, uh, it's the fact that you can go on the field and you'll see, uh, well, this year, Johnny Rutherford, uh, Al Unser Sr., Bobby Unser, Parnelli Jones, uh, David Piper, Brian Redmond, Curly Haywood, Jochen Moss, John Meekham, Bobby Rahal, Ray Evernham. I mean, it's it's like a, a list of who's who. And I really enjoy uh, presenting them in these various seminars we do. Speaking of seminars, yes. Tell us about some of the uh, symposiums that are going to come on. What are some of the ones that we can expect this year when we attend? Well, Friday afternoon at about 3 o'clock, uh, we'll have the great Offenhauser drivers, the, drive, the drivers who drove the off-engine cars. And uh, we've got uh, um, uh, Johnny Rutherford is, is heading the panel on that. Uh, uh, Tim Considine is going to be the MC, And then uh, Johnny's brought in Parnelli Jones and uh, Al Unser Sr. and Bobby Unser. And we got David Hobbs, who also drove offies. But Hobbs says it would be better to say the great offie drivers plus Hobbs. So, so <laughs> and then uh, on uh, Saturday morning at 1030, we're going to have the Merchants of Speed, with apologies to my friend Michael Kaiser. And we're going to have John Meekham, who was the front for the General Motors racing program back in the 60s and 70s, one Indianapolis, owned the New Orleans Saints, uh, a real car guy. And he was the one who suggested we do this, Merchants of Speed. So we're going to have uh, Ray Evernham, um, Tyler Alexander, who started at McLaren as a teenager and just retired last year. Uh, uh, you know, he was the team manager up there, Alwyn Springer from Porsche. They're in the Porsche program. Bob Tullius, who you and I both know very well, mm -hmm. and Bobby Rahal. And they'll be discussing what goes on within a team. For example, with Rahal, um, how do you manage a team when your son's the driver? I mean, where, where does the, 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 the family connections end and the business connections and the uh, and, and the uh, uh, attaining the goal, uh, the, the goal? Uh, again, uh, I want Bob, Bob Julius is going to talk about how you start out racing triumphs and end up at Le Mans with Jaguar. Uh, Ray Evernham is going to discuss how you deal with a team that has, you know, three drivers all with the same goal. So I think we're going to get some interesting interplay on that. Great. You know, Bill, do you think that one of the reasons that Amelia Island is such a good event that, and, and maybe I'm a little biased here, but you, you and Jay Leno are the Two most knowledgeable guys that I honestly know when it comes to cars. And I truly believe that because you're such a dedicated car person and you're so knowledge and it's so vast that that carries over into your event. And your event truly is a car guys event, as well as basically a high end concourse with some amazing cars and amazing people and, 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 and the whole package. Very kind, but see, automobiles have been my whole life. I, I never played the stick and ball games in, in high school. Uh, I couldn't get a date off a of palm tree back then. Uh, it was just 
I immersed myself in the automobile culture, so it's just a, a byproduct of that. Well, that's amazing. I mean, it really is. And, 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 and you know, that's, a, that's an example, too, you know, for other guys that, uh, you know, cars are just, you know, you can just get consumed by it, but, but you can turn it into something that's truly beneficial and something that you can share with a whole bunch of people. Let me ask you this. Retromobiles coming yeah. up, okay, next, next week, I guess it starts, correct? Yeah. Do you, when you travel around and you go to, let's say, like Monterey, or you go to like uh, St. John's, or you go to Retromobile, do you kind of like, are they inspiring for you? Do you you pick up kind of ideas and things that, uh, you know, do you want to incorporate into your show? Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, you're always influenced by what's around you. And uh, the Retromobile is kind of strange. You know, it's in Paris, but I see more of my American friends over there than I would at any other event other than maybe Amelia Island. It's really, you know... Someone say you're going to Paris in the winter. It's only forty degrees. I said, yeah, but there's the food and there's Paris. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, what's not to like? And Retromobile, everybody, you know, that should be on everybody's checklist to go to that. And uh, we've been to Auto Technica in Essen, and uh, but the, the Germans don't cook as well as the French. Okay. Well, hey, could you do you mind talking a little bit about Retromobile a little bit? Tell us a little bit about that because you've been there. I've never been there. Yeah, it's uh, it's held indoors at uh, uh, Pont de Versailles, which is. Uh, on the outskirts of Paris, near the periphery, and uh, it's easily uh, it's easy to get to via the metro. But it's it's a huge hall, and all the major European manufacturers are there. They'll show rare cars. They'll they'll show the new cars. But the big thing is is that the the flea market, the high end uh, parts. If you're looking for parts for a, a Maserati Ghibli or a Ferrari Daytona or something like that, it's a great place to go. Even better is if you like model cars. I've never seen so many. You know, one forty-third scale models at fifteen hundred dollars a piece. I mean, that's <laughs> unbelievable. And, and, and the French are passionate. I mean, it's four people deep from Thursday through Sunday. It, it's a terrific show. What do they have for attendance there? If you had to guess, oh, I don't, I don't know. If I had to guess, it's a hundred thousand. Really, over the five-day period. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're we're kind of blessed in that we get in on press day for a half a day, and. Uh, uh, the, the group that's going with me, two of our board of directors, um, we, we get to see the show before, as we jokingly say, and I don't mean this derogatorily, uh, the great unwashed come in. Because <laughs> once everybody is in there, you, you, you can't get near a booth. But if you're looking for rare books, magazines on automobilia, uh, a taillight lens for a Lancia Stratus or something like that, you'll find it there. Now, that's a five-day, five, it's a week long or five days? How long is it? starts on Wednesday and, and shuts down on Sunday evening. Okay. And now the event that takes place in Germany, in Essen, uh, tell us a little bit about that one. Uh, same kind of deal, except uh, it's at a much bigger hall, and they have uh, a lot of uh, cars for sale within the hall. At Retromobile, the only cars in the hall are those in the display or part of the arterial auction. Now, it's taken off in Paris now. There's going to be Bottoms has an auction, RM has an auction, Arturial has an auction, so... It's become uh, the European place to be if you're uh, like Scottsdale is to us. Oh, okay. All right. And now, do they do the same thing in Essen, in Germany there? They didn't have an auction when I was there, but that was about eight years ago. Okay. Uh, that, that was when I first saw prices running away on Porsche 911s. I mean, phew. Oh. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've noticed it, but a 67 911S nowadays is like owning gold. If you bought one for seven grand. In 67, you probably had 200 grand sitting in your garage now. 
it, that's mind-boggling. I was watching some of the auction results. And uh, as a matter of fact, why don't we jump over to that aspect of it a little bit? What are your thoughts on the cars? I mean, you know, we've gone through in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was this little surge in the market. Then in the early 2000s, there was a little blip, not much of one. Then in 2006, 2007, there was a kind of a big blip. And then it tanked, and now it's on the way up again. And what you see setting records is Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Porsches, do you think, and I mean, and other unusual cars, you know, do you think that we're headed towards a bubble? Do you think it's real? I mean, what's your your take on it as far as then and now and the buyers? Well, I, it, it's strange. I think we're on a bubble. I think it's going to burst any second. I got two cars I want to get finished and sell because I'm not going to be around for the next cycle. You know, the, the real bust was in 89, mm-hmm. and it dropped like a ton of bricks. You know, and, and here's an interesting thing. In 89, a Ferrari GTO sold for the unheard of sum of money of $13 million. We thought the buyer was absolutely a lunatic. Then the bubble burst, and I knew of one that changed hands for about $4.5 million. You know, so there on the table was $10 million that went away. Now, if you were, if you were lucky enough to live to this period in time, a Ferrari GTO recently sold for documented in a private transaction, $52 million. You know, there are third-world African nations that don't have a GMP of $52 million. Um, I uh, I bought cars years ago. I, I used to buy them out of junkyards and fix them up. I, I kind of knew what to buy, and I, I've been fortunate enough to end up with both a Ferrari Daytona, a coupe, and a, and a Maserati Ghibli Spider. And uh, I'm, I'm going to sell one. Uh, I just, you know, I don't want to start... Uh, well, now, you know, it's funny because you mentioned because the, the Ghibli is, at one point in time, wasn't worth as much as the Daytona. And now the Ghibli is, what, probably approaching a million, and the Daytona, I think, what, about four, five, six, maybe? No, no. Um, two Daytona coupes sold at Scottsdale. I looked at both of them, and they were reasonable cars. One went all in at about 605000 and another one went for six fifty. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, you could have bought one eight years ago for... For two hundred and fifty thousand dollars now, Daytona Spider is probably a million and a half dollar car. The record was in eighty nine. One sold for two million. That was kind of stupid money. The Ghibli Coupe, they're in the one twenty five to one forty range. Right. The Spider, uh, I saw a Spider go for eight hundred and eighty. Right. At Gooding auction a year ago, and there's one in Hemmings this month for eight eighty. But I don't think that's real money. I mean, the only thing going for it is there are only 125 spiders built, 80, 85, 4.7s, and uh, the rest of them are 4.9. And the ideal car is a 4.9 spider with a liftoff hard top and a five-speed. They were very, very rare, and that's one that went for 880. Um, a normal spider, I think, is probably in the 550 to 600 range. You know, you oh. got to, you got to, and, and of course, you have a 911 that you've owned since new, which, 71, 72, somewhere yeah. Okay, so and, and so you know, and you and just like you mentioned earlier, you know, a, a sixty-seven nine eleven S or you know, two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's kind of like. All right, let me throw this question at you: When do you think it gets to a point where the car? And I missed the seminar because they actually had the seminar at uh, Scottsdale or or one of the, or maybe it might have been in Monterey. When do you think it gets to a point where a car is too expensive to own, or do you think that's a relative question? Well, uh, I have a personal. Uh, formula. If a car owns me, it's time to sell it. 
If, okay. if I don't want to take it out and drive it, or I'm afraid something's going to happen to it, then it's time for it to go away. That's my personal one. I think what's going to correct the market and well is when interest rates go up. And uh, I think people are parking their money in some of these cars. There's, there's a lot of wealth out there at the high end, and there's a lot of guys who sell their companies for you know millions of dollars and decide they're going to have whatever it was they missed when they were a teenager. So they're they don't care what it costs as long as they got the money, they're going to buy it. Do you think the buyers are buyers because they're passionate about cars? Or do you think, uh, like you said, more along the lines of, well, it's a place to put my money for the time being, and I can somewhat enjoy it, and uh, so it's insured, I'll be okay? Well, the answer to both those questions is yes. Okay. Um, and it kind of, I watch sometimes the very wealthy bail out of some cars. And I don't know if it's a loss of interest in the car or, or that they, they just feel it's time to cash in the chips or what. I've, I've been wrong in the past on these things, you know, when, when, but the, the, the increase in the last year has been phenomenal. I mean, let's take an example. One of my favorite cars, probably my most favorite car, the most beautiful Ferrari ever built was a Series 1 Cabriolet. They okay. built 39 of them. Each one of them was a little bit different. They were built for uh, entertainers and, and uh, kings, you know, king... Faisal had one. Uh, Jack Teagarden, the jazz trombonist, had one. Uh, very, very rare cars, very beautiful cars. One sold uh, three years ago for about $2.3 million. And I thought that was the end of the world. And in Scottsdale, a sister car to it just went for $7 million. So, you know, in three years, they tripled their money nearly. Anytime I see a curve go up that fast, it'll come down that fast. And I'm in the cars for the cars. I've been fortunate, and I've picked the right cars. I, I never, every time I bought a car to make a dollar on it, I lost. And every time I sold a car, it always went up. I, <laughs> I was sick at Scottsdale. I had a BMW M1 that I bought, oh, 20 years ago. And I drove it for about 12 years, and I sold it to a friend of mine. I sold it at a loss. You know, I, I lost about 30 grand on the deal after I restored it, went through the engine and gearbox and everything. And they hovered in that ninety-five dollars to $125,000 range, and then one just rang the bell at four hundred and forty grand at Scottsdale. And, and that's within the last four years. So you see, the curve is real steep, and when it gets real steep going up, it can be real steep coming down the backside. What are your thoughts on the domestic cars? They don't seem to be doing anywhere near that. Well, if I if I sell the Mazer, uh I'm going to just bank some money, and I'm going to buy a 63 or 64 Buick Riviera, and I want a Studebaker Avanti. Those two have been high on my list of cars that you can buy now, have fun with, make a few bucks on it. You'll never lose money on them, I don't think. Uh, they'll never go up rocket ship like because they made so many of them. So you'd, you'd want a Buick, maybe a 65 Grand Sport with two four-barrels, or you want an R2 Avanti with a supercharger and a four-speed. You know, the, How you option those cars out is important as to how they hold their value. That's true. As a matter of fact, Wayne Carini was on the show last week, and that's, he, that was one of the cars he mentioned was the Buick Riviera, you know, or Toronado, you know, 60. At, at Amelia this year, we're going to have the Buick Silver Arrow on display, which was done in 76 by Bill Mitchell. Now, that's not my favorite uh, Buick show car. It was built on the boat tail car, and it looks kind of goofy, but it was, you know, it was a, a Mitchell project. But he did, uh, uh, when he decided to do that Buick Riviera, it wasn't going to be a Buick. Uh, it was going to be uh, sold through. It was presented to Cadillac as the new LaSalle. And if you ever look at a, a 63 or 64 Riviera, the two side grills that flank the main grill, the, the vertical grills on the side, echo the LaSalle grill from 1939. 
And he went to General Motors with it, or went to Cadillac with it, shopped it around. Cadillac said, we don't need that. And and Mitchell was wanting to have something to counter the four-seat Thunderbird. So he went to Buick, and Buick said, we'll take it. And it went from being a LaSalle to a Riviera. And when he when he uh, assigned the designers a theme, he wanted to have an aggressive look at a, as a, of a Ferrari with a tailored, crisp look of a Rolls-Royce. And if you look at the egg crate grill in the front, it's very Ferrari. And if you look at the uh, sail panel, which is the area, the roof line down to the rear window that, that goes to the trunk lid, it's very Rolls-Royce. So he took two diametrically opposed automobiles and combined them in a classic style that is still fresh today. Well, that's true. Yeah, 63, 64, 65. And then, of course, 65, they had the clamshell headlights, which I thought was really cool in those cars. Yeah, I didn't like the rear bumper where they put the taillights in on the 65. My ideal car would be one with a 65 front end and a 64 rear end. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that looks good. And, of course, you know, back in the 60s, you know, guys like James Darren and people like that, uh, you know, that was the cool car to have was the 63 to 65 Riviera. You were in, like, Flint back then. Let's talk. reasonable size car. You put a set of radials on it, it drives pretty good. Yeah, and plenty of power and torque. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Amelia this year. So what is the feature car this year? Well, it's going to be the 25th anniversary of Jochen Moss's victory at Le Mans. So we got the Sauber C9 being flown over from uh, the museum in Germany. Okay. Uh, the featured marks so are the 50th anniversary of McLaren. We got 19 McLarens on the field, including two Indy winners and a couple of Grand Prix cars in the Le Mans uh, F1 and everything from a Mark 1A to an M20 Can-Am car. Uh, 100th anniversary of Maserati, and we've got some fabulous cars. We've got a Sterling Moss's 250F Grand Prix car. Uh, we've got the uh, uh, Le Monster, which was the legato-bodied, uh, 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 costume-designed coupe that Sterling Moss ran at Le Mans 57, I think it was. And uh, we're doing American Underslung, cars that were built between 1909 and 1914. The, the suspension was hung on the frame rather than on top of the, it was on top of the frame rather than underneath the frame so essentially the american underslung was america's first sports car okay now and let's see uh that's that's it mclaren maserati le mans and underslung okay what about last year you had that uh it was either last year or the year before the funny little car that was based off a cartoon it was kind of like a uh oh the, uh, the cyclops the cyclops yeah you got anything like that yeah. planned this year Beach you know, cars. Fiat Jollies. Uh, uh, we, we've got uh, uh, one of two uh, Fiat Eden Rocks that have uh, teak wood interiors and are all open with little Surrey tops. They were designed for the wealthy to, to put on their yacht and cruise around. Uh, so we got beach cars. Uh, we're doing cars of Zagato. Oh. Zagato design. Designed? And we've got Alpha Zagatos, Maserati Zagatos. We've. It, it's going to be a really good class. We've got 19 Zagato-bodied cars, including David Sidoric from Los Angeles is bringing the styling buck, the design buck, where they built, they bent all the aluminum panels for the uh, Aston Martin Zagato. Oh, no kidding. That was, what, 1960, right? The, that was the one year that they made yeah, that? Yeah, he's got a new one. He's got a new one, too. It's about four years old. Okay. Now, if I remember correctly, you know Pierre Revolta. Doesn't his daughter work yeah. for Zagato? Um, uh, I think that his uh, daughter or niece is married to uh, Andrea Zagato. Yeah. Morella okay. is her dad. Okay. And then, of course, Mr. Orse, Mr. Orse will be there, you know, the authority on Maseratis. You know, he's... He's just the 
Maserati class. Okay. Now, you know what's funny? Let's talk about the Fiat Jolly just for a second. Were you a Monterey? Well, yeah, I know you were a Monterey, but did you see the, the, the Jolly that sold at Gooding for $130,000? Yeah, yeah, rest of my case on stupid prices. You know, uh, a friend of mine from South Florida had one he sold at Amelia last year, a, a peach-colored Jolly, very nice, beautiful restoration. He was open for 65 and it hammered at like 104 But yeah, I go figure. I, I just Sometimes you can be so close to the forest you don't see the trees. <laughs> it boggles my mind. I mean, and then you look at, you know, you could buy, and look look at a year ago, 250 GT Ferraris were barely hitting 100,000. Now they're three and four. A 365 GT, yeah, I, you know, they were barely hitting 100,000. Now they're 200 plus in one year, less than a year. Well, that's what I say. The steep side of the curve, it, it can go the other way, too. I'm not saying it's going to right away. Right. But there's got to be an adjustment. I mean, those are ludicrous prices. Yeah. On the one hand, I'm glad to see it because I'll benefit from it. On the other hand, if I buy out, I can't buy in. That's 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 just that's it. That's exactly it. It's like real estate. It's the same way. You sell your beachfront house and try to buy another one. You can't. Yeah. What else you got I planned? For? I'm doing this on Bluetooth. <laughs> Bluetooth, yeah. It's echoing a little bit. Yeah, you're sitting in your car up there, right? Because uh, I know you're ready to go to a dinner deal. So uh, you got a few minutes yet? Yeah, uh, yeah sure. I, I don't drive new cars very much. I, I've got a Mercedes diesel. It's about seven years old, which I love, a turbo diesel. Uh-huh. And, uh, and my wife drives a 12-year-old S-Class, you know, with about 140,000 miles on it. I'd, I'd rather buy an old car than new ones, but if I bought a new one, it would be that new S-Class. It, it's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Not to get a commercial in, but... I hope you don't have any sponsors that compete with Mercedes, but I've been very pleased with every one of them I've owned. No, no, no. That's well. That's <laughs> yeah. Actually, I like Audis. I like Mercedes. I like BMWs. I think they're all great cars. But the only thing I, I'm concerned with is these new cars. And let me let's digress for a second. Don't you think these cars are just getting too? over-technical and too sophisticated? I mean, what happens when these cars are out of warranty and something goes wrong and you're the new buyer and you've got that $800 a month payment and now you've got a $10,000 repair bill? What do you do? Well, I don't have an answer for that. I think uh, early on, BMW was one of the first to, to really drive that program with their iDrive. Mm-hmm. And they came out with a car that was marketed towards the 50 to 70-year-old person, and only a 20-year-old could figure out how to work it. They have since fixed that. It's very good. Uh, all of them are very good. In fact, Mercedes kind of uh, plagiarized BMW's iDrive with a sinful knob and all that. There's such a thing as pushing the envelope too far and, and not playing to your audience. Well, but, uh, you know, I, the thing that worries me is autonomous cars. I can't get into that. Like what, for example? Cars that drive themselves. They're saying within four years, five years, they'll have autonomous cars that, you know, just run off GPS. Well, I don't know about, uh, I don't know if Mercedes has, but isn't it uh, Lexus or somebody that has the one that parks itself already? It's available. Oh, yeah, that's been around for a long time. Yeah, but uh, Mercedes has an autonomous car. BMW demonstrated one at uh, Laguna Seca a couple years ago. Drove around the track. Nobody, you know, there was somebody in it, but they weren't driving. What happens if it malfunctions? You die. I guess. That's, uh, you know, it's funny. You, you mentioned that, but I remember, because I was talking to Joel Bortz about this, and I was looking on one of the old uh, YouTube films, and here they are. They were showing these cars, the cars of the future in the 50s that were actually propelling themselves, you know? So it's not a new idea. It's just that now it's becoming reality, and now, uh, I don't know. I'm like you. Well, back I, then, uh, you're, you're referring to Firebird 2 and Firebird 3. Yes. Which, uh, they didn't, they had sensors that would drop down on either side of the front and it would monitor a cable okay. that was run down the center line of the road. Uh, and that was one way they thought in 19, you know, 50, 60 years ago that the autonomous cars would work. But now it's all done off GPS. You know, it's just 
walks into the signal, it reads the roads, and, and the new uh, onboard television cameras like Mercedes has actually reads the white lines on the road and the, and the, uh, uh, the GPS maps in the air. And it, uh, I think the new S-Class, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you can be in traffic up to 30 miles an hour and it'll drive itself, maintain the distance, slow itself down. Uh, I, I'm not ready for that yet. No, well, you know, it's kind of like a couple of years ago, I had an Audi loaner, and I know that when I got a little too close to a curb or a little bit too close to the center line, the steering wheel started shaking and, you know, kind of giving me some sort of a warning deal. And I thought, okay, that's not a bad idea, but, but now you're talking about, you know, here you're just going to put your faith in a computer. And, you know, what comes to mind, remember 2001 Space Odyssey and HAL? Yeah. <laughs> that's, what yeah. Comes, that's what comes to mind. So I don't know. I, and, Mercedes loaned me one of their uh, uh, G-Class cars uh, last year, and, and I was late at night, and I was coming back from a dinner, and I drifted over a little bit, and it shook the wheel. A little coffee cup lit up on the on the dashboard. And uh, I guess, I'm not sure, maybe one of the experts can tell you, I think it monitors the time of day and or night and senses that this is the most likely time that you're going to drift off. And, uh, you know, that I like for safety. Okay. For the uh, lane proximity, you know, that if someone's in your blind spot, it, it shows in your mirror. I like that. The fact that I get in the car, turn it on, and sit there till it gets where I'm going is something that's uh, uh, contrary to what I what I like to do in a car. Well, yeah, and then look at this too. All your high high end exotic sports cars, Ferraris, Jaguars, even Porsche, they're doing away with auto, they're doing away with standard shift transmissions. Everything's just like a little paddle shift or a little button now. I mean that that takes the fun out of driving too. Well, it does. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, uh, I take a great deal of pride in being able to match my RPMs and do downshifts and upshifts smoothly, and you know, steer the stick. Uh, but the paddle shift cars I've driven, like the Porsche with PDK, is phenomenal. I mean, first of all, it's faster because it shifts in a thousandth of a second. Uh, the earlier cars, some of the early Ferraris, were hard to drive slow. They they were kind of in the Maserati, the early Maserati Ghibli. Now they've all solved that. But uh, the some of the earlier cars utilize a torque converter to help make the shifts with the new ones, you know, the, the double, the, the dual clutch Porsche PDK is pretty good. And that transmission now has been under development for over 20 years. Well, I don't know. I'm still a three pedal guy with a handshaker and a steering wheel. So, you know, I'm, I, I gotta, I, I don't know if I get used to it. Hey, let's talk about Amelia. What else you got going on there for Amelia at Amelia Island for people to do? So let's say the guy brings his wife and his kids and stuff like that. Cause I know out front you got all the cars that people can drive. There's other, other venues. Yeah. There's, tell us a little bit about that. We got a few minutes left. Well, you got the RM auction. We got ride and drive by several manufacturers up there. If you want to try some of the newer cars, Porsche will have a ride and drive. Uh, there'll be an unveiling of the new uh, Lamborghini uh, Huracan, which will uh, it'll be unveiled. I, I wasn't supposed to say that. It's going to be unveiled a week before at Geneva, and then the first one in the United States will be here. Uh, the new Corvette Z06. Uh, but on Saturday, we have a free show for the public uh, of car clubs. They can come, and the car clubs bring their Vipers and their Corvettes and their Porsches and Mercedes. And we'll have the displays by the manufacturers. Then Sunday is is the big show. I mean, Saturday's like hamburger, and Sunday's like fillet. Okay. So now to, to and, and the cars we got coming Sunday are going to knock your socks off. I mean, three hundred of the rarest, most unusual cars in the world. Now, how much does it cost to get into Amelia this year? Uh, you know what? You have to go to the internet. I think it's fifty-five in advance, and okay. eighty at the gate. Okay. We're trying to get people to buy in advance. The day, the 
Saturday show is free. Okay. The seminars are 30 bucks, and they're worth it, and they sell out. Okay. Uh, the biggest problem we have on the island now is all the rooms are sold out, all the hotel rooms. That means you got so to... we tell people, stay over at Atlantic Beach or, or and take the ferry over and have a nice morning drive up Little Talbot Island. And, uh, you know, if the guy wants to go on a Porsche driving experience, that's where they go down to the Navy, Mayport Navy Base, and uh, Billy Haywood gives uh, bone-chilling rides in the latest of the Porsche inventory. Oh, really? Okay. And for the women, we have a fashion show, uh, a Cars and Fashion Sunday morning. We have uh, 10 cars picked from each decade, and we match fashions up to it. And we got the Automotive Fine Arts Society there with paintings and sculptures. And, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a happening. There's something going on Friday night. Didn't I read someplace that uh, is, is DuPont oh, putting yeah, on? The, the, the DuPont, the DuPont Hanger Party, and that's terrific. You know, uh, Tim Weber and, and Tom DuPont put on a fabulous show. I'm glad you brought that up and reminded me. Uh, and there's still tickets available for that, and it, it is going to be really terrific. So that's super. So now they're going to have cars and planes on display there, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. New cars, airplanes, uh, all of the high-end stuff, and uh, Tom DuPont and his crew have really rolled out the, uh, the carpet for this one. It, it's going to be a wonderful evening. So I would tell people, you know, get there uh, Thursday night, go to the watch the road tours go out Friday morning, go uh, look at the auction cars Friday afternoon, do the seminar at 3 o'clock, go to the DuPont hangar party Friday night. Uh, Saturday night is, or Saturday is the cars and coffee at the Concours and then the auction at RM, uh, the dinner honoring Jochen Moss at the Mercedes Gala on Saturday night, and Sunday is the Concours de la Gale. Okay, and that's right. Jochen Moss is the uh, guest of honor, right? Or Grand Marshal? Yep. He is an absolute hoot. Okay, super. Well, now, Bill, did we leave anything out? Oh, I know what we forgot. I didn't cover anything. I, I, you know, I'm glad you reminded me about the, the DuPont hangar party. I had, I, that was on my list. I meant to mention because uh, Tom's been a big supporter of us. You know, he's from the, uh, the Tampa Bay area right. down there in St. Pete. And uh, he's been a big supporter of us over years, and we uh, we're glad he's here. Okay, super. Well, now the 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 event on Saturdays basically is like a big cars and coffee type thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Now, when are we going to get a race up there? We got vintage race. We need a vintage race, Bill. We're working on it. We've talked to the people. You know, it's one thing is if you use an airport, you have to deal with the FAA, and that's both a challenge that we don't understand. And then it takes a lot of money. Right. So it, would, it would take probably uh, probably three quarters of a million dollars to do one. They used to race at Fernandina Beach Airport, so there is a there is a history of that happening. Uh, we'd like to see it happen, but right now our plate's full. Okay. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed, and, and like I told you before, if you, if, if, if you can get me involved somehow, I would more than be willing to uh, jump on board and help you guys out there. Bill, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes, sitting in your car, freezing, missing your dinner, just to hang out with us here on Nostalgic Radio Cars. <laughs> Don't forget, everybody, Amelia Island, March 7th through the 9th. We've had our special guest on this evening, Bill Warner, founder of Amelia Island. Bill, go ahead and enjoy your dinner. Thanks for coming on. Everybody, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars this evening. Be sure and tune in every Wednesday, 7 p.m., for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, okay? And be sure and check out our website if you've missed any of our past shows. Don't forget, you can go to our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And this weekend, we got Moultrie going on. We've got Sumter County going on Sunday. We've got Daytona's coming up. The Swap Meet, Zephyr Hills is coming up. There's a number of auctions also going on. Be sure and check out my website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, for the events page. In the meantime, I want everybody to stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and I want to see you at some of the car shows.
to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. 